Welcome to Chicago Tabernacle, a place of becoming. Wherever you find yourself, we pray that you would be encouraged today by God's word. Amen. I've just been praising the Lord um, all day today. I woke up early this morning and it was pretty dark. And I don't know about you, but it's kind of chilly in Chicago. And I'm not super fond of the cold and the natural. And I kind of made my way to church. And then right before the service started, when I walked out between the two buildings, the sun was shining so bright. And it reminded me of that verse that says, from the rising of the sun to the setting of the same. How many know the name of the Lord is to be praised? Come on, let's put our hands together and bless him. Hallelujah, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, we bless you, we praise you. The Lord is so good, he's so wonderful, and I'm so excited uh, about today. We've been on a faith series. I preached the first uh, two services today, um, a message on the life of Abel, and I want you to go to the website and to pick that up this coming week so you stay on track with us. But I found out that Pastor Jordan Durso was in town. He preached someplace else and um, he could make it to our service today. The Durso family is very near and dear to our hearts. His um, parents have both spoken here, uh, Pastor Michael and Maria Durso, they pastor uh, Christ's Tabernacle in, um, in Queens, New York. These people are wonderful, wonderful people. They've been serving God for many, many years and have had a huge impact on our lives. And Jordan is 39 today, but I remember when Jordan left for the ministry, for the mission field, at 20 years old. He's 39 years old. He's a young man, but he's a veteran already. He's put a, a lot of miles in, in remote places around the world. He's an incredible man of faith. And uh, I'm so excited that he could be here with us he is the missions pastor at Christ Tabernacle. He also runs what they have. They have something called the Legacy Center, and it does all kinds of uh, mercy ministry and outreach to, um, to New York City, and it is very well known as a place where people can come and be ministered to and receive all sorts of help, and so I'm so excited that he's here. Let's put our, a warm hand of appreciation and welcome for Pastor Jordan Durso. How we doing? Amen. Chicago Tabernacle. You guys are CT, and we're CT because we're Christ Tabernacle, so like we're kind of like family? Yeah. Is that okay? Um, your pastors, Pastor, uh, Pastor Toledo and Chrissy, I mean, they are legit heroes for me. Uh, I've known them pr pretty much all my life, like since I've been in Pampers, um, and we've been friends forever, and they have just been friends to our family, but they are heroes in the faith, and to get to be here and to see, I've heard so much about Chicago Tabernacle, to get to, get to be here in person. Anybody love your pastors? Come on. We could do a little bit better than that. I love your pastors. So I'm from New York. I have uh, three daughters, three daughters, 12, 14, and 17. I want to light myself on fire. 
oldest is driving now. We're looking at colleges. And uh, yeah, so you can pray for me starting now. Go. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. Um, I love your pastors. And uh, to see what they've built and to see this place, I mean, it's just amazing. But how many know they can't do it on their own? Maybe say amen a little bit louder than that. Amen. They need all of us to get involved and to be a part of what's happening here because they can't do it all on their own. Anybody ever do a thousand piece puzzle? Right? You do a thousand piece puzzle. I have a puzzle piece right here. Uh, the thousand piece puzzle, when you do it, you take out the box and, and you dump out all the pieces and you set up the box because you're looking at the finished picture of what it's gonna be and you got all these random pieces and you start to flip them all over, right? Uh, you start to look at the colors and you try to find the four corners and you find the size and you got all the middles and, and, and you start to like, kind of like color coordinate the reds and the beiges and whatever. And, and, and as the days and if not weeks go by, I mean, you are progressing as one goes in, uh, you get excited and then another one goes in, another one goes in and everything starts to connect to each other and you start to see the bigger picture as everything kind of comes together and now weeks have gone by and you have police caution tape around the table because nobody better go near this thing. They better not touch this. And you are excited to finish. You're excited to uh, get to the end of this and you have 999 pieces in place and you are excited. You are excited and you look down and... You are missing. You cannot find that last piece. I mean, you just about lose your mind. You start to tear open everything. You grab a knife, you cut open cushions, you threaten the kids, you look at the dog, you look at the knife, you look at the dog, you look at the, I mean, you just pretty much go insane. Why? Because every single piece is important. There's not one piece in the puzzle that doesn't matter. Every single piece is different. They all serve different purposes. They're all unique, but they were all created and appointed and cut out and designed for a very specific location and place. And you can't do without any of them. And you can't say, oh, one piece is more important than the other. You can't look at your neighbor's piece and say, oh, his piece is better than my piece. Every single piece is needed and the puzzle is incomplete without you. And so as you connect, as you connect to one, then others get to connect. And so you fit in somewhere and everybody else starts to fit in around you. And, and just like every piece is important, you can't see the whole picture without, without the rest of the pieces with just your piece. No, we need everybody. And so as everybody connects, we start to see the whole picture. And you could try to force it. Uh, I, I did a lot of ministry growing up and trying to find out where was my place in the church. And you could try to force the, the piece to go in the puzzle, but you'll either bend the piece or you'll hurt your thumb. They all have its place. And there's such a sweet joy when that piece finally clicks, when it finally is found, and you say, oh, that's where it was supposed to go. Everybody's needed. There's this guy in the Bible named Saul. And he wrote 13, possibly 14 books in the New Testament. This guy was amazing. This guy was, I mean, passionate about this message and passionate about his purpose and his calling. I mean, they, they say that uh, 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 he walked an average of about 20 miles a day because he was just going out to tell everybody this message. I mean, few have impacted history quite like this guy. And this guy didn't care what happened to him. I mean, this guy was shipwrecked. This guy was uh, bit by a snake, beaten, thrown in jail, uh, stoned, left for dead because they thought he was dead. And what does this guy do? He gets up 
walks right back into the city to keep preaching the gospel. If that was me, I would have got myself a milkshake and a cookie and called it a day and walked the other way, but not Paul. Paul was intense. Paul was passionate. Paul knew his calling and his purpose, and he was out to do what God called him to do. But before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And so before we meet Paul, let's meet Saul. So we're going to open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read the first 15 verses. I'm just going to pray, Lord, help us to have an encounter with you that will long outlast this moment. Show us things that we don't know. Help us to see things as you see them. Speak to our reality. Speak to our situation. And help us to respond to this call to action. And God's people say, amen. amen. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 15 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared, somebody say, as he neared. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. In chapter 26, he's actually giving his testimony. He elaborates a little bit more. He says uh, that Jesus said to him, now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will go see of me. I will rescue you from your own people, from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of, uh, of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Back to chapter 9, Acts 9. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias, that's you, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument. Quick run through on, on Saul. I'm kind of a nerd with this stuff. And so I like to kind of like do background checks and get, get all the, the stuff out of the way. Saul's probably around uh, in his early 30s, probably around the same age as Jesus. Uh, he was pretty high up uh, on the uh, political religious scale. Uh, he was Jewish. He was also a Roman citizen. So he had a passport. He could travel wherever and wherever he wanted. His parents were Pharisees. And when he was 13, he went to go study under a famous rabbi named Gamaliel. And he spent five to six years with this guy studying the law. Everything was the law. He was well on his way to becoming part of the Sanhedrin, which was a group of judges that were honored and, and, and appointed to uphold the law and enforce the law. 
And Saul's one of these guys that was privileged enough to be in this group, and he was passionate about the law. The law was his pride and joy. I mean, this is the law of God. This is the Torah. This is God's instruction. There are a billion uh, rules, and pretty much they all call for your death. If, if you break any of them, uh, uh, eye for an eye, and tooth for a tooth, and a life for a life, and thou shalt, and thou shalt not. And if X happens, then Y is the legal consequence. I mean, all of this stuff, and these guys that upheld the law had no grace. There was no wiggle room for compromise. This was the law, this was God's instruction, and if you disobeyed, then you had to pay. So we first meet this villain, this all-around bad guy. The end of Acts chapter seven, and there's this guy named Stephen who had a different message. Jesus was his message, and so Stephen was over here preaching the gospel, and there was some religious people that didn't like the message that Stephen was preaching, and so they grab Stephen, and they bring him to a certain place in the city, and they're getting ready to stone him. They're getting ready to throw some rocks at this guy's head in order to kill him, and what they do is they take off their outer garments uh, 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 because, I mean, it makes sense, right? If you've ever thrown a rock at someone's head, you don't want to have anything hindering you, right? Nobody say amen. Exactly. Like, you need full rotational functionality in your throwing arm, making sure the rock hits its destination with force. And so they take off their outer garments. You know what it is, right? I don't know if it's a New York thing, but we're like, especially you girls, you get in fights, you're like, oh my goodness, no, she, no, she. And you start taking off everything. You're like, it's about to go down. So they take off all their outer garments because they're ready to kill this guy. And it says that they walk over and they lay them at the feet of the guy giving approval to this death. The guy in charge, the leader, this guy named Saul. Saul had a bloody job, which he did with passion. It says he goes from house to house. Uh, and when he's giving his testimony late, later on in Acts 22 and 26, it says that, that, that he was uh, passionate about persecuting the church, that he even hunted them down in foreign cities. So now we come back to Acts chapter nine, it says, while he was still breathing out murderous threats. I mean, this guy didn't even wait to hear from his bosses. He was like, he, he goes up to his boss and he's like, hey guys, yeah, everybody that was on the list, yeah, they're either dead or in jail. Yeah, yeah, everything went smoothly, all good. A day off? No, no, I don't need a day off. There are these people, these Christians, these, they, they got the wrong message. They're, they're not obeying the law, and they need to pay it. So I just need more orders to, to get these people. I got to eradicate this problem. These people got the wrong message, and they need to get the right message. And so I just need more orders to be on my way to go to Damascus and do what I got to do. So he gets his warrants. Gets his license to kill. And from Jerusalem to Damascus, it's 135 miles. I ask myself, Jordan, are you willing to walk 135 miles to tell somebody about Jesus? Like, what's your limit? Like, what, what's, what, how far would you really go to go and tell somebody about Jesus? I, I get upset because there's some people outside that go harder and farther to stop us from talking about Jesus than we're willing to go to tell people about Jesus. There are some people that go harder and farther to hate on us than we're willing to love them. There, there's some people that go harder and farther 
to tell us their opinions and what they think and how we should be quiet. Man, I'm tired of the quiet praise. I'm tired of, uh, of the whisper praise. I'm tired of being quiet in a restaurant and talking about Jesus because I don't want to offend anybody or somebody's going to overhear me. No, no, no. I want to be loud about my faith and loud about this salvation and loud about this grace and loud about my calling and loud about my purpose. So verse 3, it says, as he neared. So Saul and his companions, they're on their way. It says, as he neared. So you think, hey, they've gone 133, 134 miles maybe now. It's taken days. They're probably stopping overnight, either at an inn or maybe building a fire on the side of the road. And maybe I imagine they're talking this whole time. I mean, there's nothing else to do. They don't have little AirPods. I mean, like they're, they're, they're talking about what's about to happen. Maybe they're going over the game plan. Man, when we get to Damascus, oh, we're going to get these Christians, these stupid Christians. We're going to get them. Uh, we're we're, we're going to attack them. We're going to put them in prison. Some are going to die. Oh, we're going to get them. Maybe they're laughing about what happened uh, back in Jerusalem. Maybe they're laughing at Stephen and the family. Maybe all the people that, that got thrown in jail and then their families are at court. the courts trying to get their families out. Maybe they're talking about all the stuff they did and what they're about to do. And now they're close, 130 plus miles. As he neared, as he gets close, maybe he sees the city over the ridge, maybe he sees Damascus right there, he's so close, he's so close, these guys are so close, but man, they're so far. And then Jesus intervenes. Like, he's on this journey, he's on this road, and then traffic lights hit, hits, a red light, and he throws them off the horse, and now Saul and his companions get thrown to the ground, and now this conversation starts. First of all, I'm like, God, why are you talking to this guy? This guy, didn't, don't you know what he just did to Stephen? Like, he's the worst, kill this guy, get rid of him. He's on his way to Damascus to kill and imprison and take the freedom away from more of your people. What are you doing talking to this guy? It also says that the, his companions kind of heard something going on, but they didn't really know what was happening. And so uh, I don't know if the companions got saved. I like to think that they did. I hope they did uh, at some point. But the calling was very specific to Saul. The spotlight zeroed in on Saul. The conversation was with Saul. It was between God and Saul. God knocks him off his high horse and starts to have a conversation. He shines some light. He's revealing some stuff, and he's calling him by name. And he says, Saul, Saul. Four times in the Bible, Jesus is talking and repeats the name twice. And every time he does it, it's the beginning of a conversation that says, man, you thought you knew what you were doing, but you had it all wrong. You thought you were on the right road, but you got it twisted. He goes, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you thought you were the city of worship. You thought you were the hometown. You thought you were uh, where everybody was supposed to come to be, but every prophet I've sent to you, you've killed. I've tried to gather you, gather you to myself, but you didn't want it, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Simon, Simon, you thought you was my ride or die. You thought you was gonna ride and die with me. You, th you thought you were gonna go all in and all the way with me, but I tell you before the rooster crows, you're gonna deny me three times, Simon, Simon. Martha, Martha, 
Martha, you thought you chose the right thing by making me dinner, but I tell you, your sister Mary actually chose the right thing by sitting at my feet and spending time with me. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Simon, Simon, Martha, Martha, Saul, Saul, you thought you were on the right road. You thought you had the right message. You thought you were doing the right thing. You thought you was on my team, but you were actually working against me. Man, you thought you were supposed to be with that guy. You thought you were supposed to be with that girl. You thought you were supposed to take that job. You thought you were supposed to move to that city. You thought this, you thought that, you thought you were doing the right thing, but... And God calls him out by name to say, hey man, you're on the wrong road. I actually have a different plan for you. And what you're doing and the message that you're giving is actually the wrong message. I got something else for you to do. And Jesus says to him, why do you persecute me? Now, there are Christians straight up scared, running for their lives. And Jesus, who's at the right hand of the Father, chilling up in heaven, is like, why do you persecute me? Not why do you persecute my people, not why do you persecute the church, not why do you persecute them. Why do you persecute me? Because when you and I, his sons and daughters, when we're going through some stuff, Jesus takes it personal and he gets involved. You know when like somebody messes with one of your boys, you're like, hey, you mess with them, you mess with me. Jesus takes it personal and he's like, hey, if you mess with my children, you're actually messing with me and I'm gonna intervene and I'm gonna do something about it. So he said, why do you persecute me? And immediate, Saul's like, like, who, who, who are you, Lord? Like, doesn't really know what's happening, but immediate respect. Doesn't know what's happening, like his life just flashed before his eyes. He thought he was on the right track, but everything's now confusing. And he's like, what in the world is happening right now? And Jesus is like, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. And Saul's got to be like, Jesus, like, like, uh, like Jesus, like the guy that just did all the miracles, like the guy that just hung on a cross, Jesus, like that Jesus, like, like we just switched Barabbas for that, like that, like Easter Jesus, like, like that Jesus? Like I'm about to go straight up and kill some people because they believe in you, Jesus? And she's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's me, I'm that Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Saul doesn't know what's happening completely confused, maybe starts thinking about the last few years of his life. And I mean, since 13, he's been on this one road and now everything's getting switched. And Jesus pretty much says, hey, green light, I want you to get up, I want you to go back into the, the very city that you were about to bring death to. I'm about to switch everything up and I want you to go into that city and I'll let you know what you must do because I've called you and I've appointed you and I've got work for you to do. And I, you, I mean, like you're a very special person and I'm about to do something in you and through you that you can't even imagine. So he gets up and he's blind, can't see uncertainty, what's going on? Like the only thing you could do at that moment is kind of reach out, hope somebody t takes your hand and guides you to whatever God's calling you to do. I mean, there's gotta be some agony happening. His soul's gotta be tortured. He can't eat, he can't drink for three days, which is, I think, also significant, the three-day thing, but I won't get into that. But like, there's some agony happening in the moment. And maybe he's thinking about all the people he put in prison. Maybe he's thinking about Stephen. Maybe he's thinking about other people that died. Maybe he's thinking about uh, all these families that are hurting. He can't eat and he can't drink. And in Saul's darkest, most blinded moment, 
Where Saul's eyes are closed, God then opens up the eyes of another person named Ananias, and he speaks to Ananias in a vision, and he tells uh, Ananias, hey, I got a message for you, to, uh, for you to deliver this guy named Saul. And Ananias is like, yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll deliver the message. Like, Saul, like, what's his Instagram handle? And God's like, at Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias is like, what are you talking about? That's a suicide mission. That guy is literally on his way here to kill us and to take away our freedom and put us in prison. Like, there's no way, what, like, why would you even send me? Like, hey, maybe, maybe had some other stuff to do. Hey, there's 999 other puzzle pieces in the box. Why don't you use any one of them? Like, this is crazy. Like, this is a suicide mission. Like, haven't you seen what he did? Haven't you, don't you know his past? Don't you know all the sins in his life? And God's like, yeah, that, that's the one. He is my chosen instrument. Musicians, I'm gonna ask you to come up. He is my chosen. Sometimes, right, it's so easy to count people out. Like, man, that person, have you seen what they did? Do you know their past? Like, yeah, 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 that one, that's the one I'm actually gonna use to change everything and write half of the New Testament. I mean, this is the gospel, this is the good news, right? This is, like, as he neared, Saul was on his way with his law in his pocket to imprison Christians and torture them and bind them and to lock them up and to kill them. The law said, you broke this and you deserve death. You deserve to be punished uh, 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 and tortured. And as he neared, as the law neared, as it got so close, the law was on its way to kill us to imprison us, to lock us up, to take away our freedom. Oh, but as it neared, as it got so close, while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. While we were on the road to destruction, while we were so close to death, while we were so close to ruining our lives more and the lives of others, while we were so close to getting deeper into our sin, Jesus steps in, his grace steps in and shines a light in the darkness and he reveals some stuff we couldn't see and he singles us out and he calls us by name. The law had us on trial, looking at the death penalty. The prosecution has laid out all the evidence. It's undeniable. Everyone in the room knows the verdict, looking at you with shame and pity. And the judge slams his gavel and says, the wages of sin is death. And at your darkest, most blinded moment, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. The wages of sin is death, but then the same judge that slams down the gavel stands up and he comes around and he stands in our place and he takes our place and he says, yeah, but the gift of God is eternal life. You are my chosen instrument that he could save a wretch like Saul, that he could save a wretch like Jordan. And now everything changes. I love this. Everything changes. 
He goes from the law being his message to now Jesus being his message. He goes from passionate, being passionate about persecuting the church to passionate about protecting the church. He, he goes from murderous threats to love notes. He goes from death to life. He goes from the written word to the word made flesh. He, he goes from uh, 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 like the Old Testament to writing 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. And he goes from Saul to Paul. Anytime in the Bible, where God changes the name of somebody, whether it be Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter, Saul to Paul. It was always after a greater revelation, a divine greater revelation of who God is, which then was quickly followed by a greater divine revelation of who that person was called to be and what they were called to do for his kingdom. And now Paul, I mean, Paul's excited. Paul's like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, my, my eyes are opened. I see in the light. Like, I, I got a whole new life now. I got a whole new way of thinking. I'm on, a, I'm on a whole new road. Like, everything has changed now for me. And he's, he's like, I got to tell everybody about this Jesus. I got to tell everybody about this grace. And so he starts to write letters. He starts to tell everybody. And so he goes, hey, Romans, you guys over in Rome, he says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And to the Corinthians, he says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. He, Jesus, has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not by written laws, but of the Spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the Spirit gives life. And to the Galatians, he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated, cut off from Christ. You have fallen away from grace into the Ephesians. Because of his great love, God made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgression. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And to the Philippians, he says, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And to the Colossians, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And to the Thessalonians, we have been appointed to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who who loved us and by his grace gave us hope. It's to Timothy, he says, this grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. It's to Titus. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, and to Philemon, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And just in case he wrote Hebrews, just in case he wrote Hebrews, the law made nothing perfect and a better hope is introduced. Jesus is the better covenant. Law loses, grace wins. Law loses, Jesus wins. Come on. Singers, come on. I think about this. I think about this. We're gonna worship in a second. I think about this. Paul, obviously superstar in the Bible. We never hear about Ananias again. What if Ananias would have said no? What if he would have said, God, this is a suicide mission. This is absolutely crazy. There's no way I'm getting involved in, with, in this. Man, there's 999 other puzzle pieces you could use. Any one of them, he could have had all the excuses and he could have put his fears and insecurities on the table saying, man, why don't you call somebody else? Man, man I'm not the person. I'm not the pastor. I, I'm not on the leadership team. Man, man you could call anybody else. And he, he could have done that. And I think to myself, are there Pauls that are still Saul's because I haven't been Ananias? 
Are there people out there that are still struggling with some stuff because I haven't been obedient to say, yes, God, use me. I'm the puzzle piece. Whatever it costs me, whatever it looks like, whatever, however it affects my schedule, God, I am yours. Here I am. Send me. And maybe there's somebody in the room. You're like Saul. You thought everything was going good. You thought... You thought you had the right message. You thought you were on the right life track. You thought, you thought, you know, you only live once and I'm out here doing my thing and nobody's gonna know. And, uh, you know, you thought like, you thought everything was okay, but like literally in this moment, God is shining a light on you, having a conversation with you, calling your name, calling you out, singling you out and saying, man, you got it all wrong and it's not to punish you oh but to tell you that he's that you're his chosen instrument just to tell you that he wants to use you not for anything bad oh but for something amazing and you could say man Jordan you have no idea what I've been through you have no idea what I did man five years ago last month this morning the same guy he wrote this, I mean, he wrote a lot of things in the New Testament, 13, possibly 14 books of the New Testament. Like, he, he writes this, he goes, man, I, I wrote a lot of stuff, he goes, but there's this one thing I do. Forgetting what's behind me, and I'm pressing forward toward the goal. I, I'm not looking back anymore. I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna live back there. I'm gonna look forward, my eyes are focused on Jesus, because that's where comes my help. And so I'm not gonna remember all the dirty stuff. I, I'm gonna say, God, you, saved me from that and now you've got something incredible for me and I am your chosen instrument I, I moved last year and when I moved I took all my stuff with me and now I'm in the new house over here the day after we moved me and my children we were never tempted to go back to the old house we didn't have keys to it anymore if we tried to get in, it would be breaking and entering and we would be in jail. There was no reason to go back there because we didn't leave anything back there. There was no reason to invest in that anymore because it wasn't ours anymore. Now we're living here and so we're gonna invest our time and our resources here. We're gonna, we're gonna say, okay, this is where I'm gonna invest in for my future to make this better for myself and my children and whatever God's called me to do. I'm tired of trying to go back to the old house and trying to break and enter over here. Man, I wanna live over here because God's called me over here. And if God calls me somewhere else, then I'm not gonna come back here anymore. I'm gonna keep it moving. 2018 might have been amazing, it might have been bad, but it's in the past. 2019, oh, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. We're going to live here now. We're going to say, God, here I am. Send me. I'm willing to do what you called me to do. I'm tired of giving excuses and putting my insecurities and my fears on the table. I'm tired of being afraid to move forward. Last, last story, promise. We're going to Worship. So singers, get ready. There's this great story, David and Goliath, you know it, but it was before David actually shows up on the scene. You got the Philistines on this side, and you got the Israelites over on this side, and, and the Philistines got this big giant, this big ugly giant, and he says he comes out 40 days and 40 nights, 80 times, right? 40 times 2 is 80, and they come out, and, and the giant is making fun of the Israelites, and like, oh, you guys have a whack haircut, and you dress funny, and your mama dressed you funny, and all this stuff, and he's like throwing disses at them and talking about their God. 
And the Israelites are over here scared. There's one thing that Goliath says. He says, why do you even line up for battle? In other words, why did you get dressed this morning? Why'd you wake up? Why, why'd you leave the house this morning? Why'd you come to church this morning? Man, there has to be a better reason to wake up. I'm tired of living on this side of the battlefield with the enemy throwing it in my face, throwing my past in my face and all my insecurities in my face. I'm not living here anymore. I promise, I declare that this year I am moving forward. I don't care what enemy is in my face. I don't care what insecurity is in my face. I don't care what anything is yelling at me saying I can. Oh, with my God, I can. Come on, would you stand with me and let's worship him. Make me a vessel. Make me an offering. Make me whatever you want me to be. I came here with nothing but all you have given me. Jesus, bring resolutions and declarations, but we're going to not only declare it, we're going to be disciplined and determined and dedicated to carry it out. And so if that's you, if you just say, God, I, I want to be that puzzle piece, fit me wherever you fit. I want to be involved in what you're doing, whatever it costs, whatever it looks like. God, I am yours. I am your chosen instrument. Would you lift one hand? I just want to pray for all of us. Father God, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for calling us. I thank you for dying for us. Wretches like us, people uh, with our past. Oh, that you could use our past to do some amazing things for your kingdom. And so we say, God, here we are as a church in this community, in this city. We're believing for incredible things in 2019 and 2020 and 2021 and all the years to come, God. I thank you for what you're doing in us and what you're gonna do through us, through every single individual and us as a church. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We love you, we love you, we love you. Somebody say amen.
God. We love you, we love you, we love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, we're so blessed by the beautiful stories of the Bible, Lord, like the life of Saul. Thank you. Thank you for Saul's life. It gives us so much hope, so much courage today, oh God. Thank you, Lord. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to take the hand of the person next to you. We're gonna play the role of Saul, Paul. We also wanna play the role of Ananias all at the same time. We wanna receive right now. Doesn't matter what our past, what, it, what 2018 was like. What matters is how God wants to use us in 2019. How many would say amen? And then at the same time, we want to pray that the shaping of God, the working of God, the wisdom of God, the clarity of God, that whatever our brother or sister needs in this coming year to become the peace, to, to fulfill the plan of God for their lives, that this would happen, that would begin right here, right now, and it just carry on through. So come on, pray to your left, pray, pray to the right. Hallelujah. Shape them, make them, transform them. Hallelujah. Use us, oh God. Use us, shape us into that puzzle piece that will make an amazing difference in 2019, oh God. Lord, from the front row to the back row, Lord God. From the very edges, Lord. God, we offer our hearts, we offer our lives. We offer our brothers and our sisters. God, have your way with us. and sisters we send them out and yet we say God send us out oh God send us out this week like never before oh God God we thank you we thank you that what awaits us we don't know but we know that it is exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think of you oh God for every life. Do that in every heart, oh God. We thank you for a year of fulfillment, of blessing, oh God, of purpose, oh God. We thank you for all of these things. And most of all, Lord, we thank you that this year we're going to give Jesus more glory than we ever have before. And the people of God said, amen and amen. Come on, let's put our hands together. afternoon for Pastor Jordan Durso. Hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. Greet one another.